Listen to this portion of God's Word. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the desert, where for forty days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world, and he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor, for it has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. So if you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered, it says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. The word of the Lord. I just always love starting out, taking a step backwards and looking at you all. It is just so wonderful that you're here this morning and that you're joining with this wonderful church community to learn more about God and to just praise his holy name. My name is Susanna Atkins. Normally, when guest speakers come up, they will introduce themselves as Reverend so-and-so from this church or this ministry, or more usual, hi, I'm Elder Fred Dave Tim Ross. But I wasn't really sure how I'm supposed to introduce myself. I guess I could say I make my business in lies and untruth. I'm not a politician. I am not throwing my hat into the arena and run as a Democratic presidential candidate. No, I am a Christian counselor, and I work at Redeemer Counseling Services. And I spend my time dealing with the terrible impact of people who listen to lies. Now, we have people here who are from different countries, different cultures, and even different age groups. So let me explain my sermon title. When I was a kid, we really loved to tease each other by pointing our fingers when anybody told a fib and said, liar, liar, pants on fire, okay? And what we're going to be talking about this morning is how to counter the lies of Satan that impact our lives. So, to get started, may I present Satan's resume. For millennia, he was the CPO, Chief Praise Officer of Heaven, created by God to be the angel of worship. He was the highest ranking of the archangels, even over Michael. However, he deceived himself into thinking he was more powerful than God and attempted with one-third of the angels a very hostile takeover of heaven 
and was flung down into the eternal fire prepared for him and everyone else who rejects God, which we call hell. Satan lied on his resume. He has so many aliases. Satan itself means adversary or enemy, troublemaker in Hebrew. His original name at creation was Lucifer, morning star. Jesus called him the father of lies, tempter, the evil one, the devil. But more importantly, Jesus called him the ruler of this world. Satan lied about his work skills. He's not omniscient. He can't read our minds. But he and the fallen angels we now call demons watch us like hawks. Out of the heart, the mouth speaks, Jesus said. We are blabbing our business all over town. We're constantly talking about what makes us anxious, what makes us afraid. We're gossiping about other people. Don't you realize we have put a kidney sign on our backs telling Satan exactly where to aim those fiery darts? Satan is not omnipresent. He can't be in two places at once. So what he has are those fallen angels we now call demons just running around to harass and oppress and frustrate us. And they love it because they are working so hard to get their way down the ladder to success. Satan is not omnipotent. He has no power over us beyond that of deception. So Lucifer was stripped of his beauty, stripped of his position, stripped of his rights in heaven. Satan's constant attempt ever since has been to oppose the mighty plan of God. And he even tried to tempt Jesus to sin and worship him. So would you take a pew Bible or turn on your phone to Luke 4, verses 1 through 13. In most cases, there'll be a subheading that says temptation in the wilderness. So let me set the context for this. Jesus had just been baptized in the Jordan River by John the Baptist. God spoke and said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased and sent his Holy Spirit down to anoint him in the form of a dove. Now, isn't this amazing? We see the entire Holy Trinity in these verses, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, forgive me, in the book of Mark, which is what I call the hyperactive gospel, it says immediately Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness where he fasted from food and water for 40 days and was tempted by the devil every single day. Now, the first temptation is Satan just up to his old tricks. You know, stones into bread. What's the big deal? We're talking about food. I mean, Satan did the same thing in the garden, which, you know, with his proclivity, we should call the garden of Eden, you know? He's always questioning God. Twice in these verses, he asks Jesus, if you are the Son of God. In the garden, he said to Eve, 
Does God really mean that? Has God really said that? Jesus knew that he was trying to be tricked into denying his own sonship. Satan has just such a few ways of tricking us. And as you walk in truth and faith, you will start to recognize how he tries to trick you because he only has a very small bag of tricks. The second temptation was just a direct appeal to the human desire for power. If you will just bow down to me, I will give you all glory and all authority. But I'm the boss. And the third temptation is interesting because Jesus had been using verses from Deuteronomy to counter each of the temptations. But Satan caught on to that, and so he just threw down Psalm 91 to tempt Jesus with spiritual pride. Using God's protection and even his own sonship and taking that for granted. So the main issue overall in these verses is that if Jesus gave in to any of these temptations, if he listened to any of these lies, he would be allowing Satan to set the agenda, to call the shots in his life. Now, at the end of the passage, in verse 13, there's something very interesting. It said, when the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. So Satan decided to lay low, and we don't see the bodily presence of Satan again until Luke 22.3, which says, then Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot, one of the twelve. So what we see here is Satan entering into Judas in order to infiltrate and affect the community around Jesus. Well, Satan is at work in our culture as well through something that is called the happiness narrative, which says the key goal in life is to be happy, to find self-fulfillment and avoid suffering of all kinds. These are the voices from our culture that attempt to drown out the memories of what Jesus has to say about the world. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus set up a comparison between what the culture tells us, you have heard it said, and the truth. But I say to you, you have heard it said, there are many different ways to God and salvation. You have your truth, I have mine. They're all the same. But Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John 14, 6. You may want to get your pencils out and get your thumbs ready to type. We've got some great verses coming up. You have heard it said, I am so exhausted. I had to work late every night this week. Because if I don't get that promotion, I am not going to get a raise and I won't be able to pay off my school loan. I'm not going to be able to pay the kids' tuition. I need to make more money. Jesus says, and what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? That's Matthew 16, 26. 
And Jesus also says, come to me if you are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. The burden that we carry from listening to the lies about how to get ahead in this world and the need for money and the need to be self-fulfilled and never go through suffering is like those heavy bronze yokes they put around the slaves in the slave ships. And then they were brought down into the middle of the town and they were sold into slavery for the rest of their lives. When we believe the lies of Satan, we are being sold into slavery. But the yoke of Jesus, it's like balsa wood. It's so light. It's just meant to guide us in the right direction so that we would follow his teachings and have that abundant life that he came to give. Jesus made these comparisons and he told us these things so in him we would have peace. In the world, you will have trouble. The happiness narrative is a cruel lie. But take heart, he says, I have overcome the world. Now, an outgrowth of the happiness narrative is the identity narrative. And that says, in order to achieve self-fulfillment, I have to define who I am and what I need to be happy. I get to define how I define myself. Now, that's interesting because when I became a Christian as an adult, I was coming out of a very chaotic lifestyle, and I had no idea how to live a godly life. It was only through finding a church that was teaching me how to read the Bible and getting involved in the importance of making friends and finding a community that my identity shifted from that of what the world said was important to the more eternal truth of Scripture. My identity was formed by Scripture and church. We're not finding that too much these days. People are choosing instead to church hop, to go from one church to another, to find a church that suits them, rather than settling down in one church and putting down roofs and allowing the church to shape them. I was at that first church with Fred for 12 years, and then the Lord decided to bring us to Trinity. This summer, we're gonna be at Trinity for 25 years. My life, who I am right now, has been shaped by scripture and my interaction with you all. You have blessed me tremendously. The world was cursing me. If I had stayed in the world, I would, if not be dead right now, I would be on major, major drugs. What's happening is people are looking for scripture to agree with what they believe. And I get it. There are lots of times I will bump into something in Scripture that I don't agree with, that I struggle with, that the culture says, this is how it should be. But Jesus says, no, this is how it should be. So rather than just ask Scripture to go along with what I believe, my deepest prayer is that God would change what I believe 
so that it would conform to scripture. In a well-meaning way, people are trying to add Jesus to their already busy lives. They're trying to get something from Jesus, but not Jesus himself. Michael Horton of Westminster Seminary out in California said something very interesting. He said, God is not a supporting actor in the movie of your life. You have been cast as a player in the unfolding story of redemption. Pete Schizero, who wrote Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, said, people want to follow Jesus, but not the crucified Jesus. They want their lives to be Christ-centered, but not cross-centered. So this is where Satan's attack becomes more daily, more nuanced, more microscopic on our identity as children of God. So this next section is for believers, and it's really important. How does he do this? He does it by deception. Paul writes, Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. You know, it's everything that looks so shiny and so new and so wonderful. If I go to that party tonight, maybe I'll meet somebody. You know, if I get high, I'll finally get rid of all of this stress that I've been carrying. You know, one little taste, one little kiss. You know, it all looks so exciting, so promising. It's like, you know those shiny things you dangle and catch and they start going like this and they get all excited? Well, that's what he does to us. And the next thing you know, we fall right into sin. Church, he doesn't have to kill you. All he has to do is get your mind off of God and onto yourself and he's knocked you off your game. So what happens is we fall into sin and then we enter the swamp of guilt versus conviction. Oh, I feel so bad. I shouldn't have stayed out so late. I should never have eaten, drank, snorted so much. I can't believe I slept with that guy again. Listen to the voices you hear when you feel guilty. It's always an angry, snarling, putting you down kind of voice. That is not from God. Romans 8.1 says, Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When God wants to show you you did something wrong, he taps you on the shoulder and with tremendous grace and love says, Ah, you know... I don't think you did the right thing there. Where guilt paralyzes us, conviction says, why don't you go and apologize to Mary? Conviction tells us what to do to make it better, what to do in order to repent and to find reconciliation. The next swamp is guilt versus shame. Satan's attack on us is at our very core. Guilt is feeling bad over something we did. Shame is feeling bad for who we are. We feel we're flawed. We feel we're defective. We feel we're not good enough. 
But God tells believers in Romans 10, 11, anyone who believes in me will never be put to shame. God has so much for us, and yet we struggle with what I say versus what God says. I'm addicted to drugs, to alcohol, to gambling, to sex, to food, all of these things. There is no hope. I have been in and out of rehab. This isn't going to work. Jesus says, I have not left you as orphans. I will come to you. John 14, 18. Those of you that are addicted, you're not alone. He has sent us his spirit to live inside us, to guide us, to keep us connected to him. Oh, but Susanna, you don't understand. My sin is unforgivable. I'm a Christian, but I had an abortion. I'm a Christian, but I'm in a homosexual relationship. I'm a Christian. Your heart can fill in the blanks. But in 1 John 1.9, and if you don't know this one, write it down now. 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Satan wants to defile us with the lies that we will never be forgiven and that we will be trapped in this lifestyle for the rest of our lives. And God says, no, to the death of Christ, I have come to free you from the slavery of sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. It's not just, okay, I forgive you. You are cleansed from all unrighteousness. But, 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 stop it. There are no buts in the kingdom of God. For all the promises of God are yes in Christ. You know, believers, you have got to stand strong in your identity. I am a child of God. Yes, I am. I am who you say I am. And that's why I am so grateful that Penny was able to get this chart on the back of your bulletin. Put this in your Bible. Take a photo of it. Keep it in your phone. Because this is all the things that we say to ourselves countered by what God says about us and where you'll be able to find us in Scripture. You know, the biggest lie that Satan spreads through culture and into our minds is that Christ was just a man, a good man, a wise teacher. But when he died on the cross, that was the end of the story. The real end of the story is that Satan is a defeated foe with no power over us beyond our listening to and believing his lies. So, nice, this is inspiring, I'm hearing a lot of amens. What do I do? I mean, how do I fight these lies? I hear these all the time and it's like, you know, I got to tell you, isn't going to cut it. So, I'm going to have to go old school here. The way to fight lies is to believe in your heart that we are loved by a God who created us. 
to know him personally. But our sin keeps us separated from God, so we can't know him, we can't experience his love. It's only through giving up all our attempts to save ourselves, to make things better in our own strength, and accepting Christ as our Lord and Savior, that we will have the Spirit of God as a seal of our salvation and find the power to overcome the lies of Satan. If you haven't given your life to Christ yet, you're in bondage. You may not even know it. We'll talk a little bit more about that later on. How do we fight the lies? We need to read our Bibles regularly. It's not easy. I can't get up here and tell you that I'm in my Bible every day. But what I can tell you is that I try to read my Bible cover to cover each year. The wonderful time that I had working in Brooklyn was that I had an hour, an hour and a half to just sit and read my Bible. Everybody else would be, you know, reading their beach novel, and I would have a Bible. When time to get off, I'd put my bookmark in there. Next time I picked the Bible up, started reading it from there. I found that when I was doing these, you know, read the Bible through a year kind of devotions, and I would miss a day, miss two days, Satan would be right in there telling me, oh, you're so stupid, you're not a good Christian, why do you even bother? And I would just kind of give up. But when you read it through on your own, what's so wonderful is you're familiarizing yourself with the Word of God. Scripture memory is really important, but I have a brain like a sieve. I'm getting older, and I've got senior moments, but what has happened is from reading Scripture all these years, I am familiar with themes and passages, things like that. Let me give you an example of how all of this comes together, and I hope you don't mind. I'm going to get a little vulnerable here. You can only imagine that Satan was having a field day in my life over the last 24 hours. I mean, he was just throwing everything he could at my head to completely mess with me. What makes you think you can get up there and preach? Listen, women are not supposed to teach from the pulpit. And it was just like, I was getting to the point where I was thinking if I wasn't going to be Timothina Keller, it was going to be the end of the world. You know? So I, I just had people praying for me. I put some worship music on, and I fell asleep to praise music, which is so important because Satan cannot be in the presence of praise. Okay? And then I woke up this morning. My stomach was a little upset from the takeout. The voice started in, oh, stomach's going to be upset. You're going to be running to the bathroom all the time. It's like, no, it's fine. I'll have a cup of tea. I'll be good. Get lost. Okay? And then it started in, my allergies were really acting up, and that's why I'm drinking so much water. I had to take an allergy pill. Oh, your nose is going to be running, you're going to be sneezing, you're going to be a mess. It's like, no, I'll take the allergy pill, I'll be fine, get lost. (laughs) Then he started working on me in a very personal way as a woman. You're going to wear that? (laughs) You're going to wear stripes? Are you crazy? Now, again, listen to the tone, okay? If I put something on that was a little low cut, God would say to me, 
uh-uh, I don't think that's a, such a good idea. So you can see how Satan was really trying to get me off my game. So what I did was straight out of Ephesians 6, I started pray the armor of God, focusing heavily on the helmet of salvation. Because I am saved, because I am covered by the blood of Jesus, my mind is safe. The enemy cannot play with my head. And then I also prayed especially for the shield of faith because I knew there were going to be a lot of fiery darts coming my way. So he had one last thing to throw at me. And again, it was like really tied into who I am, what my purpose is here, and, and whether or not I belonged up here. I mean, this is something that I struggle with because my particular um, trigger is you're not good enough. That's what I heard. I could never be good enough growing up. And Satan knows that. So he goes right for it. So the first thing that God brought back to my mind, <laughs> this is my sword of the spirit here, <laughs> is I knew in Ephesians, there was something about purpose before the beginning of the world. I didn't have it memorized, but I knew those words, so I typed in Ephesians and purpose. And what I got was, and I will read this the way I said this out loud, for I am God's handiwork. I was created in Christ to do good works, which God prepared in advance for me to do. Do you realize that this talk I'm giving now was prepared before the creation of the world for those of you who were chosen before the creation of the world to be here? So believers, God wanted you to be here to be strengthened in him. Non-believers, he's calling out to you. You don't have the power to overcome Satan in your own strength. Please listen, come to me, and I will give you rest. And then there was a personal one that I thought was really funny. I remembered Peter. Peter and beauty. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes or worrying about stripes. Rather, it should be of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. Okay? Read your Bible. It would be great if you have time to do a big Bible study, but you just need to familiarize yourself with the Word of God so that when times of trouble you will be able to find the verses that you need, and you can basically say, Get lost! Would you stand with me as I pray? Heavenly Father, I thank you for your Holy Spirit that was present even as worship began. It is heavy like a blanket over us. And I thank you for this protection. Because you have sown your seeds of grace, of faith, of love, 
your spirit will protect these seeds from being stolen by the enemy so they will not be able to take root. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you have given us your word that we may find everything we need in order to live a holy and blameless life in Christ Jesus. And I pray that you would just strengthen us in your word. And I also pray for those of you here today who don't know Jesus and who are wondering what is this all about? I pray that you would come forward and speak to someone with our prayer team at the end, just to get some questions answered. I ask all of these things.